Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Yeah, hey, Southside. It's so great to be back. I love coming to a place where they say I'm bald and handsome because I don't get that very often. And uh, Dave is like my brother for sure. And uh, man, I'm telling you, it's been 18 months since I've been back. And I never thought I'd be away that long in person. But I've been right here with you in spirit. I've been tuning in online. And before I go any further, I love what Brianna said. It's very complimentary. It's very kind. But what an amazing staff you have here at Southside. Leaders, volunteers, can we just celebrate all those people who've worked so hard and so tirelessly? I mean, it's been a season of change and it's been difficult for all of us to navigate. And that's exactly what I wanna talk about today. It's an interesting thing, uncertainty, right? Uh, Not being able to predict the future outcomes. And so um, one of the things that's happened to me is there's been lots of changes in my life, like I'm sure in your life over the last 18 months. And so for those of you who don't know me, I wanna catch you up to speed a little bit with what's been happening in my life. And so there's some pictures I wanna share with you. Um, There's a picture that, uh, of my trucking business. I have a FedEx trucking business. We run for FedEx Ground. And uh, when the pandemic hit and they began to shut things down, I was one year into owning my business, trying to figure out how to make things work, how, how's it all gonna happen? And uh, I was like, oh no. I mean, they're gonna shut down the country. We're not gonna move anything. I've got a business loan. I got all kinds of things I've gotta take care of. I started asking all these questions. Well, what happens if I can run trucks? Will there be fuel? Can I get fuel? Can I find drivers? Will there be enough drivers out there? And if I can run people during the pandemic, we didn't know exactly how the virus was uh, uh, transmitted at that time. And so I just didn't know, how are we gonna keep all these drivers safe that drive for us along the way? Well, guess what? If you're gonna own any business in a global pandemic, a transportation business that supplies goods and services to people who order online is one of the best businesses that you could potentially have. All my fears and worries went away pretty quick. And literally over the last year, God grew our business threefold. We saw our business grow threefold. It's been absolutely amazing. The uncertainty was large. Something that I've never experienced before for sure was happening and I didn't know. I processed all these things in my brain. What was the future outcome going to be like? And I couldn't come up with an answer until God just moved and it happened and he provided along the way. And so my wife, we, she, she stepped out of full-time ministry a couple years ago, and right when the pandemic hit, she just got her real estate license, and she was all excited to get out there and sell homes, but everything shut down, and she was like, uh-oh, what's gonna happen to me? Like, what's gonna happen with my business? Will people buy homes? Will people move? Will there be money available for it? If I showed a home, how am I gonna show a home uh, to someone that can't come here or can't leave their house? And so guess what? People bought homes, people moved locations, and she figured out how to show homes virtually through a phone to people, and they bought them. Never walking into a house, people bought all kinds of homes, and last year was a banner year for her and her real estate business. My daughter, Danny, and her family had different challenges in their life, and one of the challenges that she had is she was pregnant. And she was dealing with how to go to the doctor's office uh, during COVID, how to deal with that. It was, the protocol was much different than it was beforehand. And how, were she, how was she gonna have this baby? How was it gonna work when they went to the hospital? And then she has two other little girls and one of them was starting kindergarten for the very first time. And if you're a parent, you probably know what I'm getting ready to say. She had to figure out how to do virtual school. 
And I am telling you what, like it seems to make a little bit of sense with grade schoolers or maybe even high schoolers, maybe you were able to get through virtual school. But uh, Shiloh, who's the one here in the middle, she was a kindergartner. And if you've ever seen kindergarten online, it's a trip. She came to my house one day, she had her iPad, she was sitting at the table, and all I could hear her, her teacher say every 30 seconds is like, Johnny, Johnny, I can't see your face. Johnny, come out from underneath your chair. Johnny, are you under the table? And Susie, can you go get your mommy because I can't see your screen anymore. I don't know what happened to it. And so I don't know how anything was really taught in virtual school for kindergarten, but it was a challenge if you're a parent. Can anybody relate to that? Like it was something new that we've never experienced before. And oh my gosh, are there any teachers watching today online or in the house? If you're a teacher, just raise your hand. Thank you, teachers. Oh my goodness, yes. Amazing job, amazing job. Thank you for loving our kids so much and figuring out how to make things work during the pandemic. But it was a challenge for her. My son-in-law works for a bank called Bank of America in Uptown Charlotte, and he works in the big corporate tower. And uh, right away, they began to shut down the tower, send people to work from home. And he had to figure out how to make that work, how to make that happen. And he leads a team of people. And if you're a leader in your workplace or any other environment, you had to figure out how to lead from a distance. And that's not always easy. Leading up close is really hard some days but leading people from a distance when everything was changing was really hard. And he figured out that those things work. And uh, my son, Gabe, he, lives, he lived in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. He's a university soccer coach and uh, he just loves sports. And, but as soon as the shutdown began to happen, he started going, uh, sports, I don't think are an essential service of a university. I don't know what's gonna happen with budget cuts. I get that they need the head coach, but who needs an assistant coach? And he started worrying about all those things that might happen to him. And in the middle of the pandemic, his alma mater, a school that he played soccer for, won a national Christian college championship for, they called him and said, hey, Gabe, we want you to come back and we want you to coach here at your alma mater. And so he made a move during COVID, which was interesting. And as he got back to his university, he had to figure out how were they gonna recruit new players, how they're gonna make a system work during this pandemic, this shutdown that we all experienced. And so there was a lot of change in his life as well. And one of the interesting things that changed in his life is when he moved back to his alma mater, one of the things he was put in charge of was recruiting. And his school would send him down to Atlanta, which is about two hours away from where his school's at. And when he went down there, his college roommate lived there. He's been married for a little bit, has some kids. And when Gabe would go there, his college roommate would say, hey, come stay with us, hang out with us for a little bit. Like you're like my brother, I wanna see you. And so Gabe would go there and his roommate's wife would have her sisters come by and hang out for a little bit. And so there was an ulterior motive developing that we didn't really know about or understand at first, but there's this young lady named Kelsey and Gabe gets close to Kelsey and long story short, they're engaged to be married in November of this year. And so that is a picture of Gabe and Kelsey. Now, if you leave that up for just a second, here's the crazy thing about Gabe. If he's a lot like some of the Manus boys, if you know the Manuses, and honestly, uh, Emma and Tori, I know them really well too. They're ultra competitive. All the Manuses are ultra competitive. But Gabe likes to win at everything, soccer, basketball, baseball, you name a sport, he loves to win at board games. He's gotta win every board game we play. To this day in our family, I don't know that he and I have ever finished a game of Monopoly because about 15 minutes into Monopoly, I am dominating. I buy out everybody else. I own all the important properties. And Gabe, you can just see it in his face. He gets red, he gets mad. And he's like, this isn't fair. And he storms off and leaves the game. Like he wants to win at every single thing he does. 
Well, this young lady that he's engaged to, she loves to compete too. And she gets that she's not gonna win every time, but she's gonna make it a challenge for you. So she right away, like if you get ready to play a game, she starts trash talking you. And she's like, you better bring your A game because if I beat you, you're gonna know about it all day long. She puts the fear into Gabe all the time. And oftentimes she's beaten him. In fact, just a few months ago, I get a text message from her at night. It's a picture of Gabe's dartboard in his garage. He has some of his buddies come over. They throw darts and hang out in the garage sometimes. And uh, the caption on it said, it's about ready to go down. And her text message is, you all better start praying for Gabe because he's about ready to lose at his own game. And so she is a fierce competitor. And what that brings me to is a few months ago, they were out at the beach on vacation with her family and they went miniature golfing and on their way back, they're riding bicycles back to the house and they say some other things were going on, but I think the competition bug got the best of them. And so at some point in their journey back to the house, their front wheels get caught up and get tangled. And so Kelsey goes down to her right. She had a golf ball in her pocket. And so she lands on the pavement and has this massive bruise all the way down her leg. And when we see her, she's like limping hard. And Gabe is like, he's, he's like rubbing his wrist and everything. Cause when her wheel hit his, it actually flipped him over the front of the handlebars onto a cobblestone street. And he put his hand out to break his fall and his wrist buckled and he hit all the weight on his elbow. And so we looked at it and said, hey, you're lucky. You didn't have a helmet on, you didn't hit your head. It's just, you know, maybe you're spraying and a deep bruise, you guys will be okay. And they kind of laughed it off. But about two weeks later, Gabe uh, goes, calls me up and he goes, hey dad, like my wrist is a little better, but my elbow hurts. I'm like in a lot of pain. And I said, yeah. I said, what are you gonna do? And he said, I think I'm gonna go to urgent care and get it checked out. So urgent cares in the United States, I don't think you have those in Canada, but an urgent care is a cross between a doctor's office and a hospital. It's something in between. And it has more services, more things can be done at an urgent care, but it's not quite the hospital. Usually it takes a lot longer to get administered into the hospital and get checked out. So an urgent care is a little faster way of being diagnosed for something. So Gabe heads off to urgent care, tells him what's going on. The doctor looks at it, says, hey, we're gonna get some x-rays and sends him back. He gets an x-ray, comes back into the waiting room and he's waiting for the doctor. Sure enough, doctor comes in and says, yep, Gabe, you're, you were right, you have a broken elbow. And he said, there's nothing we can do with a broken elbow other than give it time and let it heal. And Gabe's like, okay, thanks. Thanks for taking a look at it. And the doctor said, but there's something else I need to share with you. And Gabe said, well, what's that? And he goes, well, I'm more concerned about the tumor that's on your upper arm and the bone. And Gabe's like, what do you mean a tumor? Like I have no soreness or pain in that area. I don't have any problems. I came in here, I told you my problem is in my wrist and my elbow, it hurts. And the doctor said, well, we see something on the x-ray that could be wrong. And like right away, Gabe's mind is filled with uncertainty and doubt about his future and his health. And like, I don't know if you guys are this way, but my son never wants to go to the doctor. And this is the absolute reason why he won't go to a doctor because he says you go in there um, thinking that they're gonna take a look at one thing, but they end up telling you that there's something else wrong. And now he's at the doctor having this very same thing happen to him. You see, uh, Gabe finds himself on this day dealing with a certain amount of uncertainty. In other words, he went with the hopes, the expectations that the outcomes of future events would be positive, that they would be able to say, hey, that elbow, yeah, we see that there's a problem with it, we're gonna be able to fix it, or it's gonna heal over time. He's hoping that there's a positive outcome in his future, but what he was dreading was that there would be some type of negative 
future outcome, that there would be something that they would say about his future that would be negative and not anticipated, and that's exactly what he got that day. And so I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. It might've been in the doctor's office. It might've been at work. It might've been during the pandemic. It might've been when you're watching the news and you hear some type of an announcement that you've never heard before, that all of a sudden you're filled with uncertainty and doubt about what the future outcomes might look like in your life. And oftentimes we begin to ask ourselves these what if type questions. For Gabe, that day he started asking what if questions about like, well, what if it really is cancer? Or what if, what if the cancer is deep into the bone? What if it's beginning to spread all over my body? What if they can't cure cancer? And so we waited for a couple days and the doctor um, eventually um, has a radiologist call Gabe. And the radiologist, um, he said, hey Gabe, like I took a look at those x-rays. I wanna give another opinion on what the doctor told you. And he said, we concur that your elbow is broken and that there's nothing really we can do other than give it time to heal. And Gabe's like, that's great. But what I really wanna know is like, what's this tumor doing on my bone? And the radiologist goes, there's no tumor on your bone. And Gabe said, well, the doctor at urgent care said I had a tumor. And he goes, that's a shadow. I don't know what he was really looking at, but it's just a shadow on your bone. And so it was a huge relief to Gabe and our entire family. All we could do the night before, based upon the information that we had, which was incomplete, was pray that God was in control of the situation and hope that there would be a better positive future outcome in the future. And so if we're really real with each other, these last two years have been challenging for all of us. Each day we can wake up with a different amount of uncertainty based upon the different things that we hear, the different people that we talk to, the things that we believe, the past experiences that we've had, they all weigh into how our mind processes what the future outcomes could potentially be. I mean, just throw out topics like masks, vaccines, wipes, hand sanitizer, who essential workers are, um, closing the borders down, virtual learning, and online church, like those are all things that we wake up to each and every day and we have to try to understand what it means if all the information's complete, if we have enough information to process what the future outcomes might look like and how it impacts each one of us. Every time I've turned around over the last two years, I find people taking a limited amount of information and trying to predict an exact future outcome, what the future's gonna look like for each and every one of us. And I'll admit, I don't know about you guys, but I'll admit that I've had times in my life where I've, I've done that. Like over the last couple of years, I've said, I think this is gonna happen. I think this is gonna happen. I think this is gonna happen because I'm taking pieces of information I've heard from different people. I piece it together and put it into a story that predicts the future outcome that I hope for, but I can't guarantee it. I can't predict exactly that it's going to happen. And what I see happening all over the world is that we keep trying to predict the unpredictable. And the reason why is we wanna eliminate uncertainty. We wanna remove our anxieties and fear and we want the confidence that everything's going to be okay. And so the last time I looked up the definition of a person who does that in the dictionary, it said it was a fortune teller. Like, isn't that kind of funny? Like sometimes we become our own fortune tellers. We're like, we have a crystal ball and we look into it and we don't really have the information. We don't exactly know how the future is gonna play out, but we begin to tell people a plan or an outcome. We begin to prepare for what we think the future will be. And so I think it's true that sometimes in life, our circumstances around us, as they begin to fall apart, we begin to lose hope. 
And when hope begins to fade, the weight of dread pulls our minds and our bodies, our attitudes and our behaviors and uh, towards the negative, like something bad's gonna happen. I can't control the future. I don't know what's really gonna happen. And those negative thoughts, the things that we dread, the ability to not see a positive future outcome, it begins to have an impact on our behavior. Like we've seen all kinds of crazy things. People do crazy things during the pandemic. It's absurd. Some of it's absurd. You're like, what's gone wrong? Have people gone mad? And that's almost what I titled this message is this mad and crazy world. But it's been crazy to think, to see some of the things that people have done because of what they think might happen, not what they know will happen. And it's had a severe toll on our physical well-being as well. There's all kinds of studies that are out there, but this week I read a study about 18 to 24-year-olds, and this was really startling to me. 18 to 24-year-olds said that they had lost, uh, they, their physical activity had decreased by 50%, 50%. They have lost sleep, they're getting less sleep per night, they're getting more screen time on their phone, they're getting less socialization, and the uh, risk for clinical depression for 18 to 25-year-olds, young people, has increased 90%, 90%. There's been uncertainty all throughout time, and there's been tons of seasons of it. We can go back to World War I and World War II, we can go back to the Great Depression, we can go back to the last pandemic, which was the Spanish flu. But there's one story that I wanna use today to talk to us about how we can be certain in uncertain times, and it's found uh, in Mark 14, and it's a story about Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has been traveling all over the, the countryside with his disciples at this point and Mark. And he's been doing these incredible things, things that people have never seen happen, things that were unimaginable, unbelievable to most people. He had taken blind people who've never seen a thing in their life and he had touched their eyes and they had been able to see. He took people who've never walked and he made them walk again. He uh, took two fish and five loaves of bread and fed 5,000 people and had leftovers. People are like, how does that happen? We don't understand this. And he'd actually taken people who had died and he brought them back to life again. And so what was happening during this time is that everybody wanted to see what Jesus was doing. They wanted to be close to him because this was the guy that was performing miracles. He was what people were saying was the Messiah, the actual son of God. And the things that he was doing pointed to the fact that he was the son of God. And so people were coming from all over to get close to Jesus and to be near him uh, during this time. And so Jesus uh, knows that something else incredible is getting ready to happen. And he wants to prepare the people who've been traveling with him, his closest followers called his disciples. And he says, hey guys, let's go grab dinner because I wanna share something with you that's gonna happen. And it's gonna be so crazy, so unbelievable, so incredible that you're not going to understand it when it happens. But I wanna tell you beforehand so that you'll have confidence that you'll be able to trust what's happening and know that it's true and it's from me. And so he takes them to dinner one night and as he's having dinner, he says, hey guys, listen to this. This is what's gonna happen. <clears throat> In just a short period of time, I'm gonna be arrested. And uh, there's gonna be a bunch of angry people who gather around me and they're gonna give a bunch of false charges and accusations about things I did, but you know my character. You know exactly what I've been doing. You've been with me the whole time, so you know who I am. It's false, it's, it's made up. But they're gonna use those made up charges to actually kill me. And they're gonna put me on a cross and hang me. And then uh, what's gonna happen is when that happens, everybody that's followed me is gonna be fearful. 
there's gonna be a great amount of uncertainty. In fact, everybody that's been around me is gonna scatter and run off because they're not sure what the future is gonna hold. But this is the reason I'm telling you now, because there's hope in the fact that just as I've raised other people from the dead, in three days, I'm gonna be brought back to life. And then he tells them this crazy thing. He's like, and I'll see you guys in a few days down in Galilee. And so he lays out the whole plan. He is not a fortune teller. He can see in the future, knows the future, and he's proven it by his actions, and he tells the disciples exactly what he's going to do. But there's this guy, Peter, who's been a follower of Jesus, and he goes, uh-uh, Jesus, like, I'm a 100% believer. I'm never leaving you. I'm not gonna abandon you. Everybody else can leave you, but I'm not going to do it. Me and you, we're together through this whole thing. And Jesus said, Peter, I'm just telling you, everybody's gonna have a problem with this. They're gonna have a hard time believing it. It's gonna feel like uncertainty is overwhelming and you're not gonna be sure of what the future holds, but I want you to know that I hold the future. And so after dinner, Jesus goes out to this garden and he spends some time praying with his disciples. And sure enough, when they're done praying, they get up and there's this angry mob and they've got weapons with them. They got these clubs and they are by force taking Jesus to the religious leaders to put him on trial. And so as they reach out and grab Jesus, Peter is looking at the situation and this is not good. Like even though Jesus just told Peter all the things that were gonna happen, Peter knows that this is a bad thing. And when this mob, when they grab people and take them, to, uh, take them away, bad things happen, people die. And Peter's like, I'm not gonna let it happen on my watch. The outcome as he's processing it is, his only thought is I'll take my sword and I'll fight for Jesus so they don't take him away. And I know what the future will hold if I can stay with Jesus. And he takes his sword out and he attacks one of the servants and actually cuts his ear off. And so Jesus, knowing what the future holds, doesn't panic, doesn't yell, doesn't scream. He reaches down and grabs the ear and reaches back up to the servant's head and puts the ear right on his head and heals him completely. And Jesus speaks to the mob and says, look, I'm a peaceful guy. You've seen me, you know me. I teach in the temple, I heal people, I care for people, I love people. Um, I'm not a violent person and I'm gonna go peacefully with you. And he goes off with the angry mob. And as he's going off, all of his disciples look around and it's that moment where they can't predict exactly what's gonna happen in the future because everybody else who's been taken off by him has been put to death and they're gone forever. And that's their worst fear. And it begins to control their mind and eventually their actions. Because if you read in scripture, it says that everybody fled. Everybody took off. Everybody abandoned Jesus in that moment. And you see, it's, in that moment where the disciples lost their hope, where all the good things and all the good outcomes that they had hoped for seemed to be at risk and it left them feeling fearful and anxious. Hope is this positive expectation of future events and outcomes, but hope knows the potential of what the future can bring and Peter couldn't describe what the future looked like and he didn't have the faith that those outcomes would ever come true, the things that Jesus had told him. And so Peter's mind started to ask the what if questions. What if Jesus gets put to death? What if he isn't raised from the dead? What if he never comes back? What if he's gone forever? And it made him act upon that anxiousness. It put him in that fight or flight mode that oftentimes our bodies have. And so as I think through the pandemic, I think of all kinds of crazy things. Like I was in the trucking business and there were people stealing semi truckloads. They would hold up truck drivers like the Wild West days in the States and like cowboys and Indians. And they would, they would say, hey, 
uh, we're taking this truck of toilet paper. Now, all the trucks today are tracked with GPS locators, so I don't know where they thought they were gonna get off to, but they were stealing trucks of toilet paper. And, um, and so in my life, like the craziness for us was I was trying to find like hand sanitizer and wipes, not only for our family, but for our truck drivers. And I don't know if anybody in here was staying up late at night, but I would get up at three in the morning and I would scan through all the online sites to see when they would restock things so that I could order supplies for everybody. And it was just kind of craziness. I felt like this is such a weird thing for us to be in. But one of the crazy things that happened to me during the pandemic was with my mother-in-law. My wife and I went to visit her um, and my father-in-law for uh, a trip and just to check in to see how they were doing. And, uh, and so when we went into her guest bedroom, which is where she keeps this little topper for uh, their pull-out bed, I opened the closet door and literally a wall of toilet paper comes falling out of the closet onto me. And I'm like, I yelled, I'm like, mom, what the heck? And she comes running in, she goes, she goes, well, I've been, uh, you found my stockpile. And I'm like, mom, like there's enough toilet paper in here for like 10 families for a year. And she goes, well, she said, they said there's a toilet paper shortage. And I'm like, now we know why there's a toilet paper shortage. And she said, so um, I'm older. So every morning I get to go to the store before everybody else gets there. And she said, I go in every day and I buy a pack of toilet paper. And she must've been doing this for two or three months. She had so much toilet paper stored up. But sometimes when our minds can't predict the future outcomes, our behaviors begin to act irrationally and we begin to do things, anything that we can do to begin to predict a part of our future outcome. And so what I wanna do is uh, spend a little bit of time talking about that we can have certainty in God's truth in uncertain times in our life. And I think there's a couple of things that we can take away from this story about Peter and Jesus. The first one is to stay in God's presence. It's so hard to concentrate on the present when things in the future seem uncertain. I don't know if you've ever lost a job. I don't know if you've ever had a bad diagnosis at a doctor's office. Uh, during the pandemic, you might've got all kinds of news. You might've, been, you might've tested positive uh, for the virus. There could've been all types of different things. Virtual learning might've been one of those moments for you. But when, when uncertain things happen, when we can't predict what the future is, it becomes really hard for us to focus on the present. Our mind begins to race and we're trying to find answers and solutions to all those future outcomes. And when our minds begin to race and we get outside of the present, we, we get away from who Jesus really is in our life. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples. When things seemed uncertain, they, they abandoned Jesus, they ran away from Jesus, but you know what's so interesting is they had just spent all this time traveling with Jesus and everybody in the countryside wanted to be close to Jesus. It was in his presence that they experienced the power that Jesus brought, the son of God walking here on earth. And he was doing things that people have never seen done. People that had been with illnesses their entire life were seeing miracles happen in a moment. In fact, there's a story of a lady who'd been sick for a really long time. And there was this massive crowd that was following Jesus around. And she just said in her mind, if I could get to Jesus, the things of my past and the things of my present would change. My future would look completely different if I could be in Jesus's presence. Her thought was if I could just touch him, I could see something change inside of my life. And so she fought through this crowd and she actually dives through at a point and she reaches out and only touches a piece of Jesus's garment and it says that her body was completely healed. 
It's in Jesus' presence that they saw this physical power at work. And it's why this lady took a big risk. And so when we face uncertain times, when we don't know what the future outcomes uh, might look like, we don't need to run away from Jesus. We need to get closer to Jesus. We need to be in his presence. And I wanna give you a couple of easy things. I, I say easy, but they're not so easy, but there are a couple of things that you can try at home if you don't do these already. The first one is to get into Jesus' presence find a dark, secluded place. For me, it's gonna sound really strange, and uh, it surprised my wife one day when she walked into this room, but we have a guest bedroom that nobody ever goes into, and we have a closet that's completely empty. And so early in the morning, I get up and I go into that guest bedroom, I open the closet, I lay down in the closet, and uh, it's been happening for a while, so now I have a pillow in the closet, I have a blanket, because sometimes it's a little chilly in the morning, and now my dog knows that I'm in the closet, so she comes and sits outside the door and waits for me while I'm in the closet, but I get in a dark, secluded place where there's no distractions, where my mind's not gonna be tempted to race and run in different directions, and the very first thing I do is focus on being still. I pull out my phone, I put it on do not disturb, I set a timer for five minutes. And in those five minutes, this is what I do. I'm like, God, come be with me. I wanna experience your presence. And then I sit and I let the timer go. And in my mind, I go back to when I was a little boy in Indiana. And one of my favorite things, one of my favorite places to be was in the middle of a cow pasture with waist high grass and I would run out on the side of this hill and I would lay down in the grass because when you did, you'd disappear. No one could see you. And I would lay down in the grass, but I could look up at the sky and see the immenseness of who God is. And, I'd, and so every morning when I go into that room, I set my alarm clock for five minutes and I'm just still, and I pretend that it's just me and God laying in a field. And so I don't know what your place is, but I'm sure there is a place where you've experienced God in the past, Take five minutes and just be still, go back to that place, and I promise you, God's going to meet you there. The second thing that you can do is pray. And it's in, in our prayers where we really connect with God and we can feel his presence, but here's one of the things that happens in our prayer life is that oftentimes um, we can go to prayer and we begin with our checklist of what we want God to do in our life. I don't know about you, but I had like, I have this little notes thing on my phone and I have all the things that I wanna pray for. All the people I wanna pray for, Southside's been on there, my family's been on there, my business is on there, and I have all kinds of friends and they have things and they're on there. And when I tell people I want, I'm praying for them, I wanna make sure that that I really do pray for him. Like, I'm not just saying it, that I'm really going and praying for him. But here's the thing that I've learned during COVID that God's been teaching me about prayer is that God already knows every single thing that I'm thinking. He knows every concern that I have. He knows every fear. He knows every anxiety that I have. And so what would it be like to go to God and say, God, you already know the list. You know, everything that I care about. You know, every person that I care about, every outcome that I wanna see in life. But what if you just said, God, you know what the list is. I'm not gonna spend time going through my list and telling you what you need to do for me. But instead, I'm gonna position myself much differently. I'm gonna position myself in a place where I'm just gonna be me in front of you. I don't have to be Pastor George, I don't have to be Pastor Mike, I don't have to act a certain way, I don't have to pray a certain way, I don't have to use words a certain way. Like, you just want me to be myself, you know who I am, you know what my concerns are. And then, what if we followed this, this instruction set that Jesus left us, it's in Matthew 6, and he prays these four simple things. He says this, our Father in heaven, 
And so I don't know what your experience is like of, with a dad, if you had a great dad or a bad dad, but just take a father here on earth and say, if I could design the perfect father, this is what that person would look like. Multiply that by a thousand and picture that as our heavenly father. Like he wants everything good for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants the very best for you. And picture that how, and picture in that how you start your prayer. Our Father in heaven, acknowledge that he's a good and loving Father. Second, say, reveal who you are. What you're asking God to do in that moment is reveal his character to you, that he is true and trustworthy, that his promises in your life are true and they haven't changed, that the future is secure in who God is. And then say, God, set the world right. He knows what's wrong. He, he knows all the problems in the world today and he knows the order that they need to go in and how they need to be fixed and say, set the world right and lastly say, do what's best. God, I, I think this is the best thing. I think this is the right answer. I think this is what should be done. But you know what? It's your will, God. It's what you wanna do. It's what you wanna accomplish. It's not what I wanna accomplish today. So those four things, that prayer, for many of you, you've prayed it before, but this is the message version. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are set the world right, and do what's best. Start with those four things in your prayer and see how God speaks differently, how you experience his presence differently in uncertain times. The next thing I would say is that to be in church or to be in community. So for many of you, you're here today at Chilliwack and at Southside attending church physically, and that's awesome. It's so great to see you. And for some of you, you're actually joining online. You're not quite there and being ready to come back into church. And that's okay because there's this passage where Jesus tells his followers where two or more are gathered together, I will be there. So if we're gonna experience God's presence, we have to gather together in some shape or form. And sometimes that's through the internet. And people are like, well, you can't, you can't gather together on the internet. Well, God's bigger than the internet. We're there together. There's conversation going on. There's interaction going on. Two or more gathered. We can be together online virtually and we can be together in person. But when we're together, God shows up and he speaks to us. He has a word from a speaker, a communicator. It might be a person that you meet in the lobby, uh, one of your friends, but God uses other people to speak into our lives. And the other part is to be in a small group. It's in that small group where we get to share and care and grow together, where God uses us to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, to remind each other that no, God does have a future for us and his promises are always true. So when you're worried, when you're fearful, when you're worked up about something, making decisions that might not be the best decisions, we have a group of people that surround and support us. The second thing I really want you to understand when you're faced with uncertainty in the future is that uncertainty interrupts our ability uh, for the future, to plan for the future. So normally our brains make these decisions based upon our past experiences. And it says if I, on past experiences, when this happens, if I do this and this, this is what the future, predicted future outcome looks like. But when we get new experiences, when new things happen to us, our brain can't go back to future or past experiences because it's like it doesn't compute. It's like that's never happened to me before. I don't know what to do. If I do these steps, I'm not guaranteed that there's going to be a positive future outcome. But this is where God's economy in life is much different than ours because God's past performance is absolutely 100% predictor of his future performance. 
It's very different. Get this, God always shows up. God always cares. God always provides for you. God always forgives. God always loves you. No matter what you've done or where you're at, how you're processing or how you feel today, God always loves you. He's always trustworthy. And so there's a couple of things that you can think about in in trying to trust God in the future. um, Is One is don't believe everything that you think. Don't believe everything that pops into your mind. We all know that at certain times you'll hear things and your mind will trigger and your mind will begin to go down this path and begin to think these thoughts. And right away, you know that they're not true, that they're not real, but you let them linger in your mind. And eventually those thoughts begin to burn a neural pathway into our brain. And it makes it easier and easier for those thoughts to continue to build and to get worse. And eventually we begin to awfulize those things and begin to think that things have already happened that haven't happened in our life. And so don't believe everything you think. And here's one way to combat that. It's one of the most brilliant ways I've ever heard. I heard a pastor recently say that when those thoughts come into his mind, whether those, those negative thoughts about the future, those anxious thoughts, those fearful thoughts that aren't true, that maybe come from our enemy, he says, I write them down on a piece of paper. I don't try and push them down and suppress them and forget them and distract myself with TV or, or social media or something else. I actually embrace it and say, okay, I got it. My mind's saying that these things are gonna happen and I know those aren't true. So I'm gonna write them down on a piece of paper. And then he takes that piece of paper and he goes to God's word and he opens God's word and says, okay, God, what do you say about this in my life? No, God, you always provide. I don't have to be fearful about my financial future. You always show up. God, you care about me. I feel like nobody cares about me today, that nobody sees the situation that I'm in. But God, it says that you see me and you know me. It says, God, that you love me deeply and begin to write God's positive promises over the things that are negative in your mind. And then the last thing that I would say is to create a trustworthy jar. And maybe some of you have this, or maybe some of you've experienced it a different way. I know the story of Maddie Hardy well, that's here on staff at Southside. And I know one of the things that happened when uh, Maddie got a clean bill of health is that a group of the staff went down and wrote a date on a rock and God's faithfulness on it. And it's uh, planted, I think, in a river somewhere nearby, but it's an awesome thing. And this is one of the things that God's people did. When God rescued his people, the Israelites, out of this land of Egypt that held them captive for so many years, and when he began to move them towards the promise of hope, a place where they could live freely and live under God's reign, the people of Israel would build these little stone altars as they would come across hurdles in their journey. And that altar would remind them that as they were moving into the future and the future looked uncertain that they could look back at the stone altars and said, oh, remember that? Remember when God parted the sea? Remember, remember when God got us out of Egypt the very first time? And remember when we were hungry and we didn't have anything to eat out in the desert? God still provided food. We, we can look back at our past and see God's faithfulness because it's a 100% predictor of his future faithfulness in our lives. And so what my daughter did to to, uh, mimic this idea that the Israelites took is that when her house was established, they bought this big glass bowl and they put it on their dining room table and they have a ton of little size rocks. And every time that God shows up in his faithfulness, his trustworthiness in their life, they write the event on the rock and they put the date on it. 
And not only has that happened for her and her husband, but now it's happened for two of her three little girls. And eventually the baby will be old enough and she'll be writing her things on the stone and the date. And every time they sit down at dinner, they can see God's faithfulness in front of them. Every time they pass through the dining room, they can see God's faithfulness in front of them. The future becomes much more clear when we remember the past and God's faithfulness in our life. And so it hasn't been an easy season for them. Their entire family contracted COVID and in the middle of trying to move houses. But every time they came through the dining room, they were reminded that God still loves us. God still provides. God still cares. God's always faithful in our life. And so it doesn't have to be rocks. It could be slips of paper. It could be in a journal. But write those moments down where you see God's truth in your life as trustworthiness and mark the date and go back and look at it regularly. The times when you're anxious, the times when you're fearful, when there's more news that breaks and more things that change in our life and we're uncertain of what the future may look like and all those thoughts come racing through our head, open that journal, look in that jar, see that God's faithfulness has been true in your whole life and it's gonna be faithful, it's gonna be true in the future. Well, there's one thing that I'm definitely certain of and that there's always gonna be uncertainty and there's gonna be more uncertainty in the days ahead. It's not over. There'll always be something that challenges what we perceive the future outcome to be. But the thing is that God's been faithful. He's been trustworthy. And the question is, can you trust a God? Are you willing to put your trust in a trustworthy God who is certain of what the future will look like? So let me just pray for us together. God, I just come to you today and I just wanna say thank you for your faithfulness through this season of life. Uh, it's a season that's impacted us all with some amount of uncertainty, some amount of fear, some amount of anxiety. And God, I'm so thankful that we have an image that we can, that the Israelites left for us, that they left these stone altars that uh, reminded them of your past faithfulness to keep them focused on their future that when things uh, came into their path, obstacles, challenges, things that they were unsure of, that they could look back and say, yep, he did it then, he's going to do it again. And so God, I just pray for believers, people who've put their trust in you already, but are really struggling with anxiety, fear, maybe anger is the emotion that they have. They're upset that people are trying to take control out of their hands. And God, while we believe in you, there are times where it can be really hard to believe. Just like the disciples, they trusted you, they followed you, they believed in the miracles that you were doing, and you told them exactly what was gonna happen, and it was still a little hard for them to believe it was all gonna come true. And so God, I, I believe because I've been here in the last two years in a moment where I'm like, it's God, it's so hard to believe, help me believe that you're gonna come through as you always have in the past. And so I just pray if there's anyone struggling with that today here or online, God, that you would just meet them, that they would invite you into, uh, that they would come into your presence, that they would experience your goodness, that they would be reminded of your faithfulness, that you would take away, it says perfect love takes away all fear. 
that you would take away their fear and doubt and remind them to be strong and courageous because you hold their future. You know exactly where we're going. You know exactly where it ends. And God, I pray for the person who's never trusted you fully and are just having a hard time with trust today. I pray, God, that they could be certain today that you are a God who loves and cares for them, who knows their future, has a plan, has hope for them. And I pray, God, that they would just take a moment and invite you to be the leader of their life, to guide them through this journey of uncertainty, to give them the confidence that everything's gonna be okay and that you're in control. And so if that's you, if you've never put your trust and you're ready to put your trust in a certain God who eliminates all uncertainty in the future, would you just pray this simple prayer? God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for always being trustworthy. Forgive me for the places in my life where I've tried to take control of things that I really had no control of. But God, I realize that not only did you die on a cross, but you rose again and defeated death so that I too could have a new life in you, a life that's filled with certainty, certainty that you love me, that you care for me, and that you have a plan for my life and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God, I pray that you would continue to be with Southside and their community and all the people around the world that tune in and call Southside home. God, that you'll work in their lives, that you'll use them to glorify you, that other people will come to know you and your great love for them because of this great place called Southside Church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right. Well, it's been good being with you guys again. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you guys have a great weekend, the rest of your weekend, and we'll see you back next week, all right? We love you. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.